solidarity is just it never leaves you it's a lifetime's event is that you know we, we, we still speak to them and we're still there because when you've been involved in a struggle in unity like that and sharing that passion uh, you'll never forget that welcome to why we organize a podcast sharing the stories of people fighting for justice in their communities. I'm Matteo DeVos, and today we are joined by Mike Jackson and Dave Lewis to talk about the power of solidarity in organizing. Mike and Dave are co-founders of the Lesbians and Gays Support the Miners Alliance, which is an organization that they helped set up in the mid-1980s in the United Kingdom. They both grew up in the UK in the 1960s, and they've been campaigning for LGBTQ plus rights for practically all of their adult lives. In today's episode, we'll deep dive into their personal journey and experiences as part of Lesbians and Gay Support the Minors, LGSM. And some of you may already be familiar with this story. Um, it was depicted in a really wonderful movie called Pride, which was released in 2014. And it was actually after watching this movie that I just knew I had to interview LGSM and have them share their experience here on the podcast. But for those that are not so familiar with this story, I'll just give a little bit of background. So LGSM is an alliance that was formed when a group of LGBT activists in London decided that more needed to be done to raise awareness within the London queer community of the coal miners' cause who at the time were striking for their job security. And so they started collecting money at gay bars and at clubs and, and even at bookshops to sustain striking minors and their families throughout the duration of the strike. But I won't go into too much detail here. I won't uh, spoil the story. I'll let Dave and Mike get into the details of what is really a beautiful example of what can happen, of what is possible when we realize that all of our struggles for liberation are bound up together when we realize that our struggles for justice are intertwined. So we're joined today by Mike Jackson and Dave Lewis. A big welcome to, to both of you and, and thanks for, for joining us today on the podcast. I want to talk to, to both of you today about the power of solidarity about what can happen when you're able to come together with communities that are that are different from yours when you're able to to build alliances and i think in 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 your case even lifelong friendships with people that may on the on the surface seem quite different from from you you know people with different backgrounds and perhaps different interests and, and maybe even different political agendas um, you've got a really powerful story to, to share, so I want to jump right in. And I'd like to start off by hopping in a time machine together um, and traveling back at least to where I think part of uh, your story begins in the early 1980s. And I'd like uh, to ask both of you to try and paint a picture of what it was like back then, You know what it was like living in London for both of you and also maybe sketch a little bit the wider political context. You know, the, the conservatives are in power, like today in the UK, and, and the miners were also starting to strike. So what was, what was going on in the UK in the early 1980s, and, and what was it like? Shall I start, Mike? Um, it would, yeah, a context, really. I mean, we're um, 
gay. So a context for where we were at that time, really, in terms of social attitudes, that was very different um, to the except. I mean, there are still problems today, but, but no, we had nowhere near the level of acceptance um, that exists today, really. And things had started moving, um, but um, the press were very, very hostile to um, LGBT people. Um, and the media as well. And the, the political parties, too. Um, in Britain at that time, the government was formed by the Conservative Party under Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher is quite well known, even now. Um, uh, and uh, But even the other, um, Labour, the Labour Party and the Lib Dems had very little serious time for LGBT issues, really. It was seen as inconsequential and a distraction, really. So that, that's um, as far as uh, LGBT attitudes are concerned. The, um, the political um, context was that we had probably the first very, very right-wing um, Tory government in power. Um, and the, what happened with the miners' strike, it was provoked by the government, really, as a, an attack on trade unionists at large, really, to try and reduce the power that um, the trade unions had in this country. I'll leave it there. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I'll just add to what Dave was saying there as well, as well as the media and the, and the press being hostile to gay people, uh, the courts and the, and, the, and the police were. So they would routinely harass us, they'd uh, raid our pubs and clubs and our bookshops uh, under just the most flimsy excuses. Uh, and sometimes they would arrest people on flimsy accusations. Other times they didn't even bother arresting people. It was just harassment. And, and that's what we were kind of used to. But, you know, it was the 1980s, the Stonewall uh, riots had happened 15 years previously in a gay bar in New York. So there was quite a strong gay movement developing uh, in Britain as well as in the United States uh, in retaliation to the way that we were being treated. So it was quite an exciting time, really. Uh, and Dave's absolutely right. Um, the... the Thatcher government that came into power, it was in its second term of office, and they'd rehearsed before they even got into power uh, their programme to inflict as much damage on the trade union movement as possible. Uh, the Conservative Party, as the name might suggest, are right wing. It's all about the rich and serving their interests. Uh, and just to give you one example of the kind of person Margaret Thatcher uh, was, she was both a personal friend and admirer of General Pinochet of uh, Chile, hmm. uh, who, of course, was a, a terrible uh, dictator uh, who had held a military coup and ousted a democratically elected left-wing government. So that's the kind of person that Margaret Thatcher was. We hated hmm. her. She was anti-gay. Um, and a lot of the people in our group came from working class backgrounds. So myself, for example, there were 
coal mines when I was a little boy. And although I can understand that a younger viewing audience today listening to this might wonder why on earth we were supporting people who mined coal, uh, you've got to put that in a historical context. 38 years ago, there wasn't anything like the knowledge that there is today of the damage that fossil fuels were doing to the environment. Um, it was just starting to come into consciousness. Now, of course, I, I firmly believe that we need to stop using all fossil fuels immediately, but uh, that's a different matter. But we supported them because there wasn't that same consciousness of, of the damage of fossil fuels. And we knew that although Margaret Thatcher, uh, the excuse she made for uh, closing coal mines was that they weren't productive, uh, that was a lie. Uh, the real reason that she was wanting to close coal mines is she wanted to, to destroy mm -hmm. the coal miners union, which traditionally had always been the, uh, the strongest trade union in Britain, as indeed in many countries around the world, the miners have, have always had held a, a very strong position in terms of trade union power. Um, and she was determined to absolutely do her best to destroy the miners union and by doing that then she would strike a very very uh in injurious blow to the rest of the entire british trade union movement and i'm very sad to say that actually she did do that in the end we lost the fight it was a tremendous fight uh but a year uh, and the, the strike lasted for a whole year uh but unfortunately um we we lost that struggle and britain today has half the trade union membership it had when Margaret Thatcher was in power 35 years ago. Uh, when she came into power, uh, just over a majority of work, British workers belong to trade unions. 51% of the workforce in Britain belong to a trade union. Now that's down to about uh, 18, 20%. Mm. So she's halved the trade union membership. And of course, predictably, what we see now is public sector workers haven't had a pay rise in about 12 years, uh, which means that effectively they've had a pay cut because inflation hasn't stopped. Um, and all kinds of rights, tenants' rights, as well as workers' rights, have uh, all you know, eroded over that intervening period. So she was a monster. Uh, she destroyed, uh, well, not destroyed, but almost destroyed the British Trade Union movement uh, and dragged this country into a far worse right-wing place than it has been for decades previously. Hmm. Yeah, and, and just just in case anyone mistakes Margaret Thatcher for an environmentalist for wanting to to, to <laughs> close the, the 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 coal mines, I mean, she she planned to essentially close these pits these so-called inefficient pits but then depend more on imported coal and imported oil and gas so i mean it was never you know it was never an environmental reason for for closing the coal pits i'm glad you've you've mentioned that matter because the current conservative government have, have have had the audacity to actually suggest recently that that's why uh, she was doing this. They were trying to frame her as some kind of environmentalist. And I, we all just were outraged <laughs> by that. We just thought, God, you people, 
will stoop so low to tell your lies. It, it, Margaret Thatcher couldn't give a damn about the environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so, I mean, in this context, right, that you've both just sketched out, so you have the vilification of, of, um, of minors um, as an excuse, you've got the LGBT community that's being, you know, constantly harassed. How, how does, you know, lesbians and gays support minors, LGSM, how does that become born? Where does that idea come from? Dave? Um, yeah, sure. Um, it was um, mu very many of the people that were involved in our group. It started off very small. Um, there were 11 people at the first meeting, and very many of those people were already involved in um, uh, raising awareness of the miners' cause around the country anyway. Not everyone. Um, and I think that the motiv each person's motivation was different. Um, but um, I wanted to have a way of bringing the miners' cause into the LGBT community, but also hoped that we'd be able to um, influence the, the miners and their families that we weren't these two-headed monsters that we were being portrayed as in the press. And, and, and in, in that sense, they were also being portrayed as monsters by the press. And so when we made contact with them, they kind of almost from the beginning, really, they'd worked out that actually, even though you wouldn't think that LGBT people had anything to do with the trade unions or coal mining, they had worked out that, hang on, these LGBT people, although we don't know any personally, we don't know out gay people, they have been vilified by the press just as we are being. They've been put in prison and harassed by the police just as is happening to us now let's meet them and let's listen to them uh, and the story that what happened afterwards was just wonderful beyond belief really yeah i mean just on the beyond belief part i mean of course hindsight is is easy right now we see this looking back and and also in, in the movie pride it's beautifully depicted that this beautiful alliance emerged but were there individuals or were there people that you know, wasn't at the time was this not considered a crazy idea that you would contact you know that london lgbtqia plus activists would reach out to a, a a local mining village in in wales um and, and tell them that they wanted to support them it, yeah uh, t uh, but that that interpretation varies from person to person, obviously. But yeah, overall, it, it, it was a bit unusual, to say the least. Nothing like that had ever happened before. But of course, <laughs> there are LGBT people existing mining communities, male and female, old and young, always have been, always will be. Uh, so number one, it's not quite as, as um, two separate communities, as you might think like that. Mm -hmm. And... I'll stick my neck out here. It was the kind of mainly the working class part of the LGBT community that that was there in in support of the miners. Uh, so in a sense, the existence of a group uh, 
divided the LGBT community in in in, in a kind of a, a class way. Not entirely. There were other, there were non-working class people in it who supported the miners as well. Uh, so that was quite exciting, really, because it was a working class voice within the LGBT community that was being heard. And uh, whether people wanted to hear that working class voice or not was irrelevant because we were so loud and we were so effective. Uh, and then when the miners came to join us on the Lesbian and Gay Pride March in London a year after the, uh, the beginning of the strike, uh, that was just supreme because we kind of like just it was like we were reclaiming kind of our kind of class heritage as well as our sexuality. I mean, it was very sad that the miners had lost, but, you know, six months after the strike had been lost, they came on the Gay Pride March to reciprocate the, the solidarity that we, we'd offered to them and to stand by us in, in, in unity. And also, of course, at that stage, it was when HIV was uh, starting to spread around and that mining community did an awful lot of work uh, both during the strike and afterwards, uh, in addition to raising funds for themselves, because the, the government was trying to starve them back to work, uh, they were also kind of writing letters to the local press and, and sometimes uh, organising kind of collections for people who were suffering, who were ill from HIV. So there was a wonderful kind of crossover and, and a set of alliances and allegiances there. Yeah, a real sense of of solidarity um seems, seems to have emerged and i'm i'm really curious also to just to hear about that moment of first contact mike i mean i know you've talked about this a lot before but could you share a little bit about what that was like reaching out to this community um in wales and and and, and how that was received yeah yeah well we we kind we kind of went down there we were young lgbt activists we, we were used to tackling homophobia and to to be realistic uh we didn't expect a, a mining community was going to be uh, any better than any other community uh mining in britain is restricted it's a men only job uh, women were not allowed underground in, in, in coal mines. Um, so it was men who were doing a brutal, uh, uh, dangerous job. Uh, and we went down to Wales to, to, at their invitation, uh, prepared to deal with bits of homophobia. Um, but in fact, that never happened because prior to us going down there at one of their regular weekly meetings they discussed lgbt stuff and basically it, it, it what the outcome of that was that a very very small number of people were not comfortable with our uh, impending visit um i think largely because they were probably uh, religious grounds it, it wasn't mm -hmm. any deep-seated anti-gay hatred it's just that it, it they saw it as conflicting with their religious beliefs so they, they couldn't be seen to support it so that very small number of people were just asked to stay away which they did yeah then on top of that the miners have had their union for over at, at that stage for over a hundred years and that was a hundred years of trade union education, 
class solidarity, all kinds of alliances and allegiances. Uh, the miners in the community that we supported, for example, uh, went to fight General uh, Franco in the Spanish Civil War. Um, there was a very famous uh, black uh, civil rights uh, activist over in uh, the United States called David, help me. Paul Robeson. Paul Robeson. <laughs> Showing my age there. Um, he was a great fan of the South Wales miners and championed them. Um, and so actually, they, there was a degree of consciousness, of political awareness, that was quite remarkable for a very isolated uh, mining village. And it really was up in the, not exactly mountains, but up in the hills, you know, miles from any big cities or whatever. Uh, but so normally communities like that can be quite narrow-minded, but they were far from that. They were so internationalist in outlook. So it wasn't really that difficult for them to kind of think about gay people and and come up with some kind of analysis about who we were. And when we went uh, that very first weekend, uh, they periodically during the strike, uh, they would invite the people from all around the country who were supporting that particular community to come down for what you might call a solidarity weekend. So we're coming together uh, in one place uh, to exchange news and views because uh, this is pre-internet, don't forget, and it's pre-mobile <laughs> right. phones, um, and you couldn't rely on the British media and what the news reports there because that was all full of lies. Uh, so they'd have these Solidarity Weekends. So we weren't the only people there that weekend who were trade unionists from print unions, for example, from local government, but with the biggest group. And uh, they have this uh, welfare hall, a big kind of concert place, and we went in there, uh, there was a bar, and uh, there were about two or three hundred people in there. There were different generations. Uh, people were, the miners, the striking miners were too uh, broke, too hard up to be able to pay for babysitters. So they had their children in, the, in this bar. We arrived, there were 27 of us. We were young, we were conspicuous because we were LGBT. Um, and we walked in and there were about two or three hundred people in that hall and uh, our presence, there was a, a marked uh, lessening of the volume of people speaking. It, it was like a tense moment, you know, that was obviously a response to us walking in there and then somebody started applauding us and the whole lot of them just started giving us a standing ovation and that was just unbelievable that that's that's how much they'd thought about it in advance so that by the time we got there they were actually applauding our presence because they they realized it took quite a lot of guts on our part we were as i say mainly mm. young people whereas the the miners in this uh, miners welfare hall was everybody from teenage miners right up to ex-miners who were retired grandfathers and, and so forth um and that alliance was it never it got just stronger and stronger and stronger as a result of that the sunday night when we were waving goodbye to them and we we're coming back to london our heads were buzzing we were going to let give out press releases and it just strengthened our resolve so much because you know we we'd stayed with the families so we 
at the end yeah. of that weekend we'd, we'd become personal friends of the family not just the minor uh and and that solidarity is just it never leaves you it's a life times event is that you know we, we, we still speak to them and we're still there because when you've been involved in a struggle in unity like that and sharing that passion uh you'll never forget that that that's that it's it's an it's an incredibly strong influence on you that yeah and all it takes to make a movement is two people you can't create a movement from one person but all you need to find is one person who's got similar views to you and you can create a movement yeah that's fantastic that's very empowering and dave i also wanted to ask you about um so so mike just painted this really vivid picture of your your physical presence uh in wales and these solidarity weekends but the s in in lgsm the support was also much more than that right i mean what what were you doing in in london to support these miners when you know when you weren't physically present uh, in solidarity in wales um, yeah, that was twofold, really. It was um, the primary aim was to raise money because um, the strike went on for a whole year and so and people had no money, um, no wages obviously coming in because they weren't working and the their union had financial reserves that it would have used and that was then, uh, it's a word that we don't hear very often now called sequestration where the government actually effectively stole the money that they had in reserves so we had that um, task we also um, uh, um, and we did that by shaking buckets at uh, LGBT cent um, community centers and um, pubs and clubs and whatever um, and the big single event we organise, I mean, all sorts of other things. I'm, I'm conscious that some of my language, people under the age of like 50 are not going to know what I'm talking about, so I apologise. But <laughs> we had <laughs> jumble sales, which was donated clothes and that kind of stuff that you would then sell. Um, and the what, the one we had was called a night, The Night of a Thousand Socks. Um, uh, then we had the biggest single event was the um, uh, benefit that we put on in um, North London, in Camden, where um, one of our members was a, a singer in um, a band that had really just taken off. And so that band agreed to perform. And we had several other fantastic um, performers that had agreed to do it. And we filled this massive, um, venue and it raised loads of money. That's fantastic. And Mike, you mentioned earlier that, you know, despite all of this, the Thatcher government, of course, had a, a significant victory and that the strike ended and, and, and that the power of trade unions has been uh, reduced. But, but I wanted, I do want to focus also on kind of the impact and the, the legacy that LGSM has had. Um, and, and the first one I can think of, of course, which you've touched upon already, is the presence of the miners in in, in the Pride March in, in in 1985. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about what you think the legacy is, um, you know, of of LGSM and, and and kind of what the impact is still today. Well, 
I mean, them attending the, the Pride March was a one-off thing. What was really seriously important was that the uh, in Britain we have an annual conference where all the trade unions come together once a year in October called the Trades Union Congress. Uh, and also in that same month, uh, the Labour Party, which is its name might suggest, is meant to represent the uh, labour movement in Britain. Um, basically, lesbians and gays for years have been trying to, within the trade union movement and labour movement, have been trying to convince brothers and sisters that LGBT rights were trade union rights. You know, people, for example, being, could be sacked from their jobs simply because they're gay. That's it. We have no legal protection. You're sacked because you're queer. Yeah. Uh, and every year it had been, it, 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 it had been voted down. Yeah. But 1985, after the miners' strike, uh, the miners basically got behind that, that, that motion that was presented to the UC conference. And for the first time ever, it won. So basically, that was the beginning of all the major changes that we saw in Britain, uh, because the trade union movement then started to uh, develop equal opportunities policies that it, it would negotiate voluntarily with employers, uh, particularly in things like local government, where you might have had quite left-wing uh, labour authorities who would be sympathetic to, to, to that kind of thing. Um, and really, for years and years and years, it was the trade union movement that was uh, furthering LGBT rights at work. Uh, and then later on, of course, when we had the return of a Labour government, uh, then a lot of that LGBT rights was enshrined in law. And now in Britain, uh, I mean, we've got almost full equality. Homophobia still goes on. Homophobic attacks still go on. Um, but it, by and large, we, you know, you can't be sacked for, for, for being gay. You can't lose your housing for being gay. You can actually get married as a LGBT person. So, you know, it, it, the impacts of, of, of the trade of the minors on the trade union movements and the trade union movements in turn on, on government, the labor government was, was huge. So they helped to accelerate the LGBT rights movement, you know, and, you know, I mean, the trade unions are all about solidarity and, and brotherhood and sisterhood. That's, that's mainly what they're there for and organizing. So once they decided that they were going to give us help, uh, they're like an army because they just, they're just so well organized and so good at this stuff. It just, it just rolls along. You know? And that was, you can imagine we were overjoyed by that. Yeah, and I think that's a very valid point to make about the power of, of of trade unions. And and I was wondering whether you could also touch upon, uh, Dave, the what you think you know activist listeners uh, to this podcast can learn about your story. Um, I think there's a big debate, especially for environmental activists, um, in what they call the end of the world versus the end of the month debate, right? Whilst we as environmental activists worry about the end of the world, many people are just trying to make ends meet for the end of the month. So what do you think the lessons are of your story for, for activists and listeners? Um, you know, I don't set myself up as the authority on this, but I do have a, I, 
um, opinions, obviously. Um, I think when we um, when we formed as a very small group and then grew bigger and bigger and bigger, um, and then groups similar to ours around other major cities across um, the UK, there are 11 groups in the end, um, we took a leap of faith, I suppose, really, because we had absolutely no guarantee that what we were trying to do would be received in the way that we hoped, and it was. Um, our support, really, for the mining communities at that time was unconditional. Um, people have to make their own decision on whether or not they would make that same jump, but we did. Um, the, for those that have seen the film, um, Pride, which tells our story um, in, in a uh, fictionalised context, um, it looks as though we're a, a, a small bunch of altruistic do-gooders wandering around looking for a cause, really, and that wasn't the case at all. And we then spread enlightenment to the south wales mining communities one of our members said um we brought opera and pasta to <laughs> south wales and nothing could be further from the truth the learning was absolutely two ways really we learned things that um, we we didn't think that we would so we made that jump and um we didn't whether or not they were going to support us mm -hmm. um, when it came to the 85 Pride March, but we invited them. And we already had quite mature relationships with uh, the South Wales mining community by that time, and they responded positively. Our group had been in the uh, gay press, um, primarily in London, all year because of the minor strike. The minor strike was the number one news story in the mainstream media. Um, and so what we were doing was also covered. And we got to lead the what was then called the London Pride March, which was lesbian and gay then rather than LGBT, just because um, what, they were the times then really there were um, uh, Bs and Ts there as well. But yeah. Um, so I think that is what. I think a lot of the people that are, are watching this um, are going to be probably very familiar with people telling them as activists that they're wasting their time, probably parents actually, you're wasting your time, I don't know why you're doing this. Really. <laughs> um, and we had people in the lesbian and gay community um, telling us exactly the same and saying, what, what have they ever done for us? Why are you bothering to do all of this stuff? And honestly, we couldn't really answer that in a straightforward way until things developed further down the line. But it, it sounds like a fairy tale, and it isn't. Hmm. It actually happened. Mike, I see you nodding along. Um... No, I just absolutely agreeing with him. It's, yeah, absolutely. You know, people are watching your back for you, uh, looking after you. That's what solidarity is about. That's absolutely what it's about, yeah.
as I said earlier, it's 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 one of the most wonderful feelings in the world, really. Yeah, and you know, you you have to be honest with each other as well. If it's to, if it, it, by definition, if it's solidarity, then then you you're reaching out to another group of people, whoever they are, to express that kind of uh, solidarity and mutuality and the, the need to, to to do things cooperatively. Um, and that community could well be different to yours, it could be very different to yours. So it's an opportunity to actually say, well, let's talk about the differences, because as I said earlier today on this show, you know, the miners were being monstered by the media and the, uh, and the print media. We were being monstered as well. And we knew on both sides it was a lie. So it was an opportunity to say, mm. well, okay tell us who you are tell us what you do tell us how you live tell us how you're different and we'll tell you how we're different so it's a it's a golden opportunity to tackle those kind of areas that that could in normal times actually result in friction and prejudice and uh, alienation from each other and instead turn it into a moment for actual kind of collective understanding yeah fantastic Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I wanted to ask you both a, a final question. Um, if you could share with the listeners or give one piece of advice or one book to read or one podcast episode to listen to or a film to, to watch, which one would it be? Um, I'm going to say this because Mike would be too shy to say it. And that is, there's a fantastic documentary um, that tells the story of the miners' strike called Still the Enemy Within, and that's available um, online and in DVD form. And it's fantastic. And the reason Mike will be shy about it is because he's one of the people that's interviewed in it. Really. <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be my um, recommendation. Fantastic, Mike. Um, mine would be a podcast called Working Class History. Uh, which is now, it's becoming so successful that it's now being translated into various other languages as well. Uh, and they are kind of specialising in unearthing working class history that traditionally has been left in the earth, as it were. So, for example, there's a big emphasis on uh, women in terms of working class history, in terms of... Uh, you know, ethnic minorities, black people, brown people, in terms of working class history, and of course, LGBT plus people in terms of working class history. It's a really good little podcast. And then if I can put a second one in, your viewers should see Pride, the movie. <laughs> I agree. It's a fantastic movie. Dave, Mike, thanks so much for, for joining us today on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. And good luck with the struggle. We're with you. And on that positive note of solidarity, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in today to the Why We Organize podcast. Be sure to subscribe or follow us from wherever you're listening. In our next episode, we'll be deep diving into leadership. We'll ask why so-called leaders keep failing us, about who, if anyone, should lead in community organizing, and what all of that and much more may look like.